I'm Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Um, we were almost stuck in Kansas City for Thanksgiving. Uh, the snowstorm was real, but we made it through by going into southern Colorado. We went all the way through like Pueblo uh, to get around the storm, but we, we got here. And, and I'm excited because here's the plan today. I want to talk a little bit about me. I want to talk a little bit about Bible translations. And then I want to spend more than a bit about Ecclesiastes 12. Um, so let's, let's go. So me, I'm Andrew. I'm married to Sarah West, the lovely Sarah West here in Orange. I have two beautiful middle school-aged daughters, Finley and Allie. Um, I love them very much. I am on the leadership team here at Two Rivers, um, but it's not my job. My real job is I work at CSU. I am a former college professor, and now I'm a college administrator. So I work in the vet school, try to support teaching efforts across the vet school. Um, and I love the university. I love colleges. I love what, what a university is for our society. I love what it is for, for um, a place like Fort Collins. I love it's a place where ideas are generated, where ideas are shared, where ideas are challenged. I love that. Um, I spend a great deal of time reading literature because of that. So I read the research in all kinds of fields. So part of my job is to encourage our professors towards new and innovative things and ideas. And so I read a ton of research. So I read a bunch of education research. I read a lot of psych- psychology research. I read a lot of fields. Um, as part of my job. It's fantastic. I get paid for that. Um, but it does shape a lot of how I think then about the world. And so when I prepare a sermon, I love Jesus, but much of what I study and read is in the world of research, secular research. And so I'm going to bring in some today, and I hope it's okay. I hope it's okay uh, with you. I think it'll be encouraging and strengthening for you. At least I, I hope so. Second, I want to talk about Bible translations. So um, if you came in this morning and I asked you, how was your morning? And you replied something like this. It was a little wild. Do you have some sense for what that means? What if I changed it a little bit? What if I did this? Just one little, one little punctuation mark? How does that change the meaning of it? It was wild. What if it was like this? It was wild? Maybe this is, this is a little wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a big wild. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking you came through like the savanna and you were like, uh, it was just, this is a little wild. This would be a lot wild. Um, so, so words on a page are just words on a page. They have meaning based on context. They have meanings, multiple meanings for a word like wild means lots of different things. A word like little can mean lots of different things in context. And so what's interesting is when people translated the Bible. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, uh, the New Testament's written in Greek, written thousands of years ago. Um, what you end up with are some different approaches to translating Scripture. So on the far left-hand side, you get this word-for-word idea where we're trying to take the, the literal as close as we can, the Greek word-for-word-for-word, word word, and try to put that onto a page. That sometimes reads, um, it's going to read very accurate in the sense of word-for-word, word, but some of the ideas are lost because of the differences of us not knowing the context 2,000 years ago and the ways that the Greek language uh, would be read by our eyes. So on the other end of this would be kind of a thought for thought. So if you've ever read the message, we used to call it the like Jesus is cool Bible because, because the, 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 the language feels it's very much idea for idea, but not necessarily word for word. So there's good reason to have both of these and everywhere in between, um, depending on, on what it is that we're trying to do. I spend a lot of my time, when I am just quiet in the morning reading the Bible by myself, I really love the NLT, which is closer to the thought-for-thought thought idea, less word-for-word. Um, 
So I bring this up because today we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes 12, and I'm going to be reading it uh, in the NLT, which if you're in some other translation, you're going to see that mine has a lot more words in it than yours might. And I find it to be really helpful. So that means that scholars, as they have translated, they have brought some of their belief about what was the context, life, what did the words mean, they brought that to bear onto the text. So if yours, if yours is different today, I just want you to know that. And I want to encourage you, I think reading Ecclesiastes through the NLT, I think will change the way that you understand it. If you've not read it yet, if you've not been part of this journey with us, you should take a look at it. You can just get the NLT online. I mean, there's probably, what, 500 different Bible apps you could read from. I would encourage you to look at it. So we're going to do Ecclesiastes 12 out of the NLT tonight, this morning. Are you excited? I am. I can't wait. I get to tell you about Sarah's grandpa today, so I can't, I can't wait. Um, when we started this sermon series, Jason said, hey, I want to I preach through Ecclesiastes. And he's like, it's going to be weird because, like, nobody reads Ecclesiastes. And I remember sitting in that meeting, and I was like, I like Ecclesiastes. In fact, I read Ecclesiastes probably four times a year. There's something about it. I'm one of those weird, I guess, weird people. That there's something about Ecclesiastes that to me is like this, this balm for my soul. There's actually, when I read it, there's two chapters I get stuck on. So Ecclesiastes 12 and Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes 2 is interesting. If you remember this from, what, 10 weeks ago, I suppose it was. Um, I pulled just some of the verses out of there. I just want to highlight some of them. So, so this is Solomon, wrote, we think, wrote Ecclesiastes. Uh, they call him just the teacher in the, in the text. Um, but it says things like this. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. Part of this resonates with me personally because I grew up in the building trade. So all through high school, college, uh, when I was teaching high school, we were, all, me and all my buddies were in the building trades. So we were building houses. And I've always had this thing that like bigger is better. So we bought a new house here. It was perfect. It had an unfinished basement. We're like, let's finish it. I mean, why wouldn't we need a fifth bedroom and a fifth bathroom? I mean, who needs five? No one needs it. Yet for me, there's something like I need, I need to do this. Um, gardens and parks. I love to garden. It's a little harder in Colorado, but this idea of like, just build this thing, let's tend this thing, let's grow this thing. I love, I love doing that. I've never built a reservoir, um, but, uh, but as a kid, I have always had like this engineering mind. Like I remember I grew up in the mountains of Colorado. I remember we would take the creeks and we would like divert them and try to get them to do really fun things and the farmers would like get really mad at us because in Colorado, it's actually illegal and there's lots of laws around that. Anyway, um, I've always loved that. I don't own herds and flocks, but I'm jealous of you that do because I've always wanted chickens. I would love to have goats. I'd love to have land. I think I could just quit my job and just tend things. So as I read through all of the, silver and gold, I mean, who doesn't want it? Um, But what resonates for me is that when I read this in Ecclesiastes 2, I always get to this line and it always hits me just right there because it's exactly how I feel. That after I finish like a massive project on my, say, finishing out the basement, it doesn't satisfy like I thought it would. Whatever the pursuit is, it always comes up feeling like empty, like chasing the wind. So I return to Ecclesiastes 2 frequently because I need to, because I get stuck in that rut of do, 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 accomplish, uh, and I have to be reminded, like, Andrew, that's not, that's not the goal of things. So I love Ecclesiastes 2, but that's not the focus of today, but I love it. It, it, it is what I need, and Ecclesiastes 12 brings a different message that I also love and I also need, so I get to share it with you today. Um, and to do so, I want to play a game. You ready? Are we allowed to play games in church? Okay. Yes. Here's the game. You have 20 seconds to solve a puzzle. You have to really do this, right? Um, 
The task is to identify two numbers in a grid. It's going to look like that. You're going to identify two numbers in the grid that add to 10. (laughs) You're like, "Uh, I think we can maybe do this, Andrew, even though it is the weekend after Thanksgiving. All right. Are you ready for this? By show of hands, I'm going to ask you to see how many of you can do this. You ready? On your mark, not your hands. This is when you get through the puzzle. Puzzle's going to start. Ready? Set. You're on the clock. (laughs) Two numbers that add to 10. If you get it, raise your hand. All right, show of hands, how many people got it? All right, about, about, about half-ish. Okay, uh, just in case you're like, what in the world? Uh, there they are, right there. Uh, yeah, right in plain sight. <laughs> so interestingly, this, um, <clears throat> this was a study uh, that was done uh, in the literature, in the research. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, and the, real, the idea was, how can we help people get better at this kind of a thing? So I, wanna, I want you to talk to someone next to you. To say, if, if I said, okay, we're going to do this puzzle again, and if you can get it correct, I'm going to give you 10 bucks. All right, so you have some incentive to do this. How, what would you do to prep for that activity? So I'm going to give you some time, like three minutes. Let's say you can use whatever strategy you can. How would you get better at solving puzzles like that if I were to give you another one and say there's some money on the line? Right. Talk to someone next to you. How would you... What would you do to try to get better at doing this so that you can maybe, you know, earn some money? (laughs) All right, five seconds. Four, three, two, one. All right. Let's hear some strategies. What'd you do? Get a calculator, okay? Totally, I like it. What else? What was the top? Go to the first service and ask somebody, okay? What was one over here? Someone said something. Count on your fingers, okay? What's that? Focus more, so try to focus more, yeah, okay, okay. Just hope, <laughs> I like it. Um, so this was actually, this was a study that was done. Um, they did it with uh, 468 people. They incentivized them with $1. Yeah, the things we'll do for $1. Um, here's, what they, here's what they did. They gave everybody a total of five practice rounds. So I gave you practice round one. They did that same thing, 20 seconds to solve the puzzle. They did that four more times. And then... They turned this group into three different groups, and they turned them loose for three minutes. So group A did something for three minutes, group B did something for three minutes, group C did something for three minutes. Then they did five puzzles, and they kept track of how many of those puzzles were they able to get right, and here are the results. Now, if you don't look at research much, that little asterisk means that was significant, but I think just doing the math makes it feel more significant. 96%. That's like a solid A. If you're a student, you're like, I feel really good, but a 96 uh, the middle group, that's an 81. That's like barely getting the B. Like, you're like, I'm glad I got it. Uh, I barely did it. And then this is a, a C. Uh, you don't feel always great about that. Um, so it makes it something, something happened in three minutes that made the difference. Anybody want to guess what group C did? 
Maybe nothing. We had to have them do something for three minutes. Yeah, it was the tip of your tongue, I can tell. Um, a three-minute cooking video is what they watched. This was just to get the group to do something else that was not puzzle-related. This was the control group. Uh, they watched a cooking video. Uh, group B, anybody want to take a guess what they did? This is the group that practiced. So they, took, they had more puzzles, and they practiced doing puzzles, practiced doing puzzles, practiced doing puzzles. You would think that that would really help. Practice makes perfect. And yet, they were in the B group with a solid B. What do you suppose group A did then? Read Ecclesiastes 12. Thank you, Nate Hines. No, um, that would have been, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, they reflected. They reflected on their practice rounds to two prompts. The researchers gave them this prompt. Write down what strategies you used and write about what you think you could do to get better for three minutes. Isn't that interesting? At least I find it very interesting that you would think grind harder, do more, work harder. I mean, we, 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 of course, a cooking video is not going to make a difference, but surely if I just practice doing more and more and more of the same, I will get better at the thing. And yet what turns out to be the case is not doing more of the thing, but reflecting on how you have done it before makes a significant difference. Mmm, Greg, thank you. So as we get to Ecclesiastes 12, I want to remember that the power and the importance of reflection. Because research is just already describing, people who did this study are just describing things that already are, a world that God designed. So we're just, you know, as researchers, we're just like discovering all these little things that are good and amazing, wonderful God have already put into place. And we stumble upon them like, oh my gosh. Well, it turns out this same idea, the importance of reflection, the way that inflection can shape your life, shows up as the major theme in Ecclesiastes 12. And I want you to walk out of here being convinced that taking time to reflect is important. That taking time to reflect is going to be a really fantastic use of your time, even though you might feel like just grinding through things. Um, so this is what Ecclesiastes, part of it, is going to look like. It's a lot of words, but all we're going to do is we're going to focus in right here. Look at that. Before you grow old, remember him. It's going to say again, remember him. It's going to say it again, remember him. And it's going to say it a bunch more times. Before you get old, and I'm just going to add a qualifier. I don't think it's a stretch to say this before you get older. Tomorrow you will be older. Before you're older, remember him. Remember him. My hope is that this will come alive for you. Because I think what happens sometimes is we want to live in group A. We want life to feel like 96% or 100%. And yet we end up sometimes just grinding, 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 or doing the, the equivalent of watching cooking videos or cat videos or infinite scrolling through whatever the thing is. When there's something else that's more, or being called to something deeper, something richer, something that is more transformative, remember him, remember him. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna anchor today's talk in three key points, and I've already made the first one for you, and this is the first point. Reflection matters. I want you to be convinced that reflecting matters even when just it feels like maybe grinding harder is what I should be doing. Taking time to pause, to be still, and to consider, and to remember, it matters. It matters. Right. So let's, you ready to get into the text? This is Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 1 in the NLT. Here it goes. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. 
Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. What we have is Solomon. He's an old man. He's reflecting on his life and he's encouraging us to say, hey, before you are old like me and nothing is working as it used to, remember him. I grew up in this tiny little town in southern Colorado called Westcliff. Uh, went to college in Montana State, came back and taught high school in Westcliff and met the beautiful one and only Sarah West, who was Sarah Powell at the time. I rescued her from that name. Give her mine. We got married. Um, and then we, uh, like seven months later or so, packed up everything we owned into just an SUV and one of those 12-foot U-Hauls. Everything we owned fit in two things. It was wonderful. It uh, doesn't fit that way anymore. Anyway, we drove clear across the state of Kansas and went to... Uh, Missouri. And I went to the University of Missouri for graduate school, go Mizzou. Um, but we had this fortunate thing. You know, life is also expensive then. Uh, we were poor and newly married. And so we had the opportunity to live with this fella right here. So this is Grandpa Brown. This is Sarah's grandpa. Um, he lived in a town called Moberly, Missouri. So when you're that far north in Missouri, it becomes Missouri. Um, Grandpa had lived there forever. He, this is what he looked like closer to when he moved there. Look at that handsome guy. He worked for the MFA, which stands for the Missouri Farmers Association. He, he ran a grain elevator there in Moberly, Missouri for almost all of his life. Um, so we moved in with Grandpa. Uh, yeah, he's handsome. Sarah loved his butt chin the most, I think. She wished that our girls had butt chins. I'm not so sure our girls wished they had butt chins. Um, <coughs> It was interesting. We lived with him for two years, uh, so I would commute back and forth to grad school. Um, and it was, it was fantastic for me because I would, I would be doing school, and I'd be stressing over papers and tests and all the things, and I would come home, and I would sit with Grandpa. Grandpa at that time was like 82, and he was a widower, and he would sit in his sunroom and watch the birds. And I would come in and like lay all my woes on him, and it was just like, hey, time out. <laughs> Check out the red bird. It was awesome, and he just dumped wisdom on us for the next two years living with him and for the next, like, four years after that. It was so good. And so when I read Ecclesiastes, I hear and I see Grandpa in this, and I'm going to take you on this journey of Grandpa through Ecclesiastes. So let's just go right here. Verse 2, remember him, and Bill on the first service asked me, he's like, who's him? Remember God. Remember God. Before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your sky. Saying, when you get old, you're going to lose your eyesight or it's going to get worse. And the time we lived with Grandpa, he bought a new pair of glasses. Sarah helped him pick them out. Um, And he had cataract surgery. And he had eyelid surgery, which I didn't know was a thing. But this is when, like, if your eyelids get too droopy, you can, like, pull them back. And so he had, like, cosmetic surgery for Grandpa in his mid-80s. so much so that I was in this class and we had to like give a talk to like community, to like a, a community center or to like um, an assisted living home and we decided to choose a topic and the class was called public understanding of science. So how do we help someone understand science? And I'm like, well, obviously I'm going to talk about eyesight because grandpa continually is at the ophthalmologist, the optometrist. Um, we, you, 
are going to start to lose your vision if you haven't already. It will get worse and worse and worse as you get old. (laughs) And what Solomon says is, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dimmed to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. So the second point I want to make today is that reflection matters, but second point is that the object of your reflection matters too. The object of your reflection matters more, perhaps, than reflecting, although you can't reflect without an object. So the, reflect, the object of your reflection matters. Let's, let's talk about what that could look like. So I have the joy, the honor of hiking 14ers with some of my best friends and with my youngest daughter, Allie. So we climb 14ers together, and it's been really fun. In fact, uh, Allie and I, um, I cry all the time too. Um, Allie and I were doing uh, uh, Mount Chavano, and we left Fort Collins at like 7 p.m. at night, and we drove down there. We didn't get there until like 11 p.m. So we're driving up this, this mountain. It's pitch black outside, and Allie's like, Dad, is that, the, is that the Big Dipper looking out the window? So we stop the car, we climb out, and we look at the night sky. How many of you, how long has it been since you have seen the night sky away from city lights? If you haven't done it for a while, you need to do it. Because that Milky Way, it's up there still. And when it is dark and you get out and you see it and you're just like, oh my gosh. So here's, here's some of your homework. Here's what I want you to do. Before your eyes are dimmed with another day of growing old, I want you to remember him. I want you to go outside. This is the moon, phases of the moon right now. Check this out. Next full moon. You see it down there? November 27th. Anybody know when that is? Tomorrow. Tomorrow's a full moon. We have all this fresh snow. If you go outside tomorrow, it's going to be clear. Look at this. I already pulled it up for you. You have no excuse. (laughs) Starting at 5 p.m., not a cloud in the sky. Tomorrow, I want you to go outside sometime after sunset. I want you to look at the moon. It'll be rising. Right around the sun sets, the moon's going to rise. I want you to see. It's going to be big and bold and glorious. And then when it gets a little darker... 6, 7 p.m., it is just going to be spectacular. The moon is going to be huge and it's going to be reflecting off the snow. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside. If you can drive out of the city, do it. Drive up to Horse Tooth. We'll all be there. And I want you to remember him. I want you to grab your Bible or your phone app. I want you to turn to Isaiah 40, verse 26. And I want you to do what he says. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. And ask yourself, who created all these? And I want you to read what he says. He says, he who brings forth the starry host one by one and that big old shiny moon and calls them each by name. And keep reading. He's going to say, because of his great strength and his mighty power, not one of them is missing. And then I want you to flip over to Psalm 19.1. I want you to look up. I want you to remember him. While you can see, while you can, if you can see, do it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They make no sound. They have no words, and yet their voice can be heard throughout all the earth, across all the world. Do it. It will change you. 
You can reflect on your life and get better at a puzzle, but you can also reflect on where you are and who your good and holy creator is, and it will change you in a very different kind of way, and it is well worth your time. All right, that's your homework, but I have more for you. (laughs) Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, stoop. Grandpa, this is not Grandpa, unfortunately. I didn't have a picture of Grandpa mowing, but Grandpa mowed his yard faithfully multiple times um, a week. Some of you might know this, and Grandpa, his yard never looked like this. There's like patches of brown. Uh-uh, not in Grandpa's yard. Grandpa had this little like spade-looking pokey thing. I don't know, he probably made it. Um, and as he would mow every single weed, dandelion, he would dig that thing out, toss that thing. Hand-picked weeds. Um, the best yard. I remember the time when Grandpa, that season, when Grandpa was no longer able to push his mower. It was just too much as he became too weak to push his lawnmower. And that became my job. We'd drive up there on Sundays. I would, we'd go to Golden Crow and eat uh, Sunday dinner, supper, supper, dinner? What was it called? Supper. Sunday supper. And then I would mow the yard while he and Sarah would sit inside and talk about other things. Um, there's going to be a time when I know I can't mow either. There's going to be a time. The reason I know this is that there was a time when I could do this. Uh, this is called stucco. This is how I made a living through high school, college, and into my first years of teaching. Every summer, I was like this. The tools of the trade are a trowel on the left, a hawk on the right. Um, the way it works is you fill a big wheelbarrow full of this like mud-like stuff, like concrete, and you scoop it into this thing, and you walk over to a wall. You scoop it off the hawk. It goes, hawk. I think that's why it's named that. And you smear, 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 smear. Then you... Walk back over, walk back over, smear, 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 and you do this back and forth, back and forth. So our stucco crew was kind of interesting because me and a bunch of my friends, here's a picture of them. Um, we found it to be way more efficient and faster. Instead of setting up scaffolding, which is what you'll see a lot of crews do, we just did it off of ladders. So however, however tall the building was, we're going up that ladder, big old 32-foot extension ladders, and we would scoop up, smear, 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 down, smear, whoop, 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 all day, early day. I remember getting back from like college, like summer break, I go to college, my friends are like, dang, you go on a diet? I'm like, no, I'm just working. Um, I hurt just thinking about doing that kind of work now, right? That was, this is like a 20-year-old's game. This is not, Carl, where's Carl Schaefer, drywall? Uh, yeah, same kind of thing, I think. Um, this is a young man's game, and I can't do it anymore. I just hurt thinking about it, and I know there's gonna be a time when I can't do my lawnmower either. And Solomon says, before, before that day comes, remember him. Use the reality of being able to do something hard, picking up a thing, um, picking up the kids' toys for the 18 millionth time and putting them in the thing. See that as an opportunity, not to gripe, but as a chance to remember him. Um, I've read these before. We have this, this, uh, this guy named Douglas McKay wrote this, this book um, that he calls Liturgies. We have a handful of them uh, in, this, in the lobby and some in this room right here between the mystery glass. Um, it's called Every Moment Holy. He has, writes liturgies, which are essentially reflections on all kinds of things. One of them, interestingly, is a liturgy for those who work in wood and stone and metal and clay. Pretty specific. Um, but I think it's beautiful because the ideas, I think, can be... Can be broadened to any of the tasks that we do. And it, it goes like this. Oh God, 
who in your good providence did not deposit in this world treasuries of metal and wood, stone and clay, that we who are created in your image might from those materials make and build and craft objects and structures both beautiful and useful. For the meeting of physical needs and for the nurturing of soul and spirit, for the God who does this, quicken now my hands, my ability, my knowledge, and bless this work of creation that by my labors I might craft a thing. And I love this last line. That I might pick up that toy in such a way. That I might smear that mud of drywall in such a way that sings with the very substance of my hope. Imagine when you do your tasks in a way like that, because you can still do your tasks in a way like that, how remembering him, how that changes and transforms you from the inside out. Remember him before you grow older. Don't wait until you're old. Before you get older, remember him. Remember him. Remember him before your teeth. Your few remaining servants stop grinding and before your eyes see dimly. Next time you get that toothache, I've got to go to the dentist. And you're laying there in the weird chair looking at the ceiling. <laughs> Remember him. You've got teeth that you can eat things with still. Grandpa had these dentures. Eating a lot of things was off the menu for sure. Remember him. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. But then... All their sounds will grow faint. Grandpa again, if you zoom in on this, you'll see this, right? We call these grandpa's Shrek ears. If you're not familiar with Shrek, uh, this is why they're named Shrek ears, because they, oh, they look like his Shrek ears. Yeah, yeah you see, see it? Yep. Uh, these are grandpa's Shrek ears. These were, these were the, the holders for his hearing aids. Uh, grandpa hated wearing his hearing aids um, because of the Shrek nature of them, I think. Uh, but I remember when Sarah took him to the audiologist to get his hearing aids. He, had, he didn't have them, or the ones he had didn't work very well. Climbed into the car, which is his car. He had owned this car for like 15 years. Climbed in it. Sarah's driving it. Um, and Sarah turns on the blinker, or turn signal. Click. And it goes, Grandpa's like, what's that sound? She's like, it's the turn signal. He's like, it does that? <laughs> Grandpa, yeah. Grandpa hadn't heard the turn signal in his car in the entire time that he had owned it. Before, then, huh, while you can still hear the birds. Not so many birds right now, maybe the little hardy ones right now, but come springtime, and you're up early and the sun is up and you hear those birds and they're just like going for it. Remember him. Remember him. Remember him before, huh, and I love this, before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. How many of you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind's going with all the work and things you have to do? You ever consider that a gift? That you have good and meaningful things to do with your time. How many days Grandpa sat there watching the birds, just wishing that he had good and meaningful work to be about, that good and meaningful work would consume his thoughts and his time. When you find yourself lamenting the things you have to do, what if you were to rechange that narrative in some way? 
What if you didn't remember what a gift it is and remember your God through it? Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. So grandpa lived on this cul-de-sac. Uh, the road was called Cedar Lake Drive. And Sarah and I talked about writing a book called The View from Cedar Lake Drive. Because grandpa's view of the world was very different from there. Because he didn't, he didn't drive much. He didn't get out much. And so when it would snow like it did here, um, he would look outside and then he would watch the news, and the news is like, you know, like the world is coming to an end. Like if you drive your car, it will definitely go off the road, and you will definitely die, you know, because that's what the news sells. And so Grandpa would watch the news, and then we'd be like, hey, Grandpa, we're going to go to the store. He's like, you're going to the store? You will most certainly die. And we're like, you know, you get outside, and everybody's doing safety, and it's fine. And so there's something about age that seems to bring about this level of, like, caution, of like, hey, be careful, be careful, be careful. Next time you find yourself doing something that feels a little dangerous, remember him. Remember him while that still makes you come alive. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom. Next time you see that gray hair, for me, it's the continually thinning hair. Some of it's, more of it's gray. Remember him. Before you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. Next time you're so wiped out from the CrossFit workout that you just did and you're just, ugh, remember him. Next time you have some sexual desire, remember him. You will lose that. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed and the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Remember him. Remember him. Last point before we land this thing. This one's gonna take a little bit, so we'll take some time on this. The last point, we are the narrators of our own reflections. And I'm gonna, this is gonna make sense in a second here, but there's the words. When we reflect, we are telling a story. We are looking back. We are considering what is, and we craft it into a story. And you are the narrator of that story. Let me try to help you see this. So, again, this is coming from some uh, research in psychology. I think it's fascinating. This question, why do we have memory? Have you ever considered, like, why do we actually remember things? It's interesting. Um, is it to remember every detail of our past? Like, as a human being, is, like, our memory there so we can remember every detail of our past? If it is, how good are we at doing that? Pretty darn poor, right? In, even if some of you, maybe you had Thanksgiving with family, perhaps, you sit around telling stories, and you're like... You remember it one way, someone else remembers it a totally different way. You're like, weren't we both there? <laughs> and yet we remember it very different. We are pretty poor at remembering detail by detail by detail by detail. So um, a scholar, Jonathan Adler, um, at Olin College in Massachusetts, says this. He says, we have memories, and I might just add one of the reasons we're thought to have memories is so that we can make sense of what's happening to us right now and anticipate what might happen next. 
So the reason we have it is not to remember every single detail. The, the reason we have memory, he argues, is so that we can make sense of what's happening to us now and anticipate what might happen next. So by way of example, imagine you're walking through the woods, you come across a bear in a cave. Ah! Right? Uh, this has happened to me. He wasn't in a cave, it was just a bear, and we were like, run, right? You're not supposed to. Anyway, this happens. Is the goal that you'd remember exact detail of that bear in that cave? How helpful is that? Not overly helpful. The goal is that we take that objective thing that happened and we craft a different story that helps us remember that sometimes scary and dangerous things can be in dark places. That is the narrative that we can tell ourselves. So we take this thing that actually happened and we tell a different kind of a story that helps us remember it longer. Adler says this. He says, so the slippery reconstructive nature of memory, so the idea, the way that we recreate events to tell this story, this is a feature of the human system. It's a feature of the mind, not a bug. It's not something that's broken. It actually serves us well. And stories, this recreating of a thing to tell a story, is an amazing tool for holding on to the meaning of our past experiences. The objective facts of our lives are what they are, but the stories are about where we draw connections between things, where we parse the chapter breaks of our lives. And those are narrative acts, not historical acts. And the way we do it can have big implications. Let me give you an example. All right. So you can have a story that begins good and ends good. Kind of a boring story, kind of like the Hallmark Channel movies right now. Um, you can have a story that starts bad and ends bad. This is like very depressing from beginning to end. Um, you could have a story that starts off bad and is good. We kind of like those. This is kind of like a, the, our favorite American types of stories, like struggle, 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 victorious. Uh, you could have one that's like really good and then goes really bad, it's like a tragedy. Um, so, so researchers give these, these different stories different names. One of the names they give this from bad to good is called a redemptive or a redemption sequence. Isn't that cool? We as Americans love the redemption Sequence. We don't love this one right here that some researchers call a contamination sequence. But here's what's interesting. The difference between these oftentimes lies not in the objective facts, but it lies in the way we retell the story. Let me show you from my story. So right out of college, um, I had a girlfriend, um, and I had a college degree from Montana State University, go Bobcats, and I had a new job teaching high school science in Southern Colorado for $26,000 a year. Yep, you heard that, right? <sighs> Big bucks. And then my girlfriend broke up with me, and it turns out that teaching high school science, physics, chemistry, biology, and physical science was a ton of work, and that 16-year-olds don't always automatically appreciate all that hard work. Hardest job I've ever had. So when I tell that story, it feels a little like this. Life was going good, life's going good. Wah, I'm single, living in the mountains, working the worst job I've ever had in my life. Here's what's interesting. It can also tell the story kind of like this. You can add the chapter break at one different point. It goes like this. In that small little mountain town while I was single, working this super hard job, I met this gal over here, Sarah West. Changed my life forever. Give me two beautiful kids. <laughs> Story looks a lot like this now, especially when you do this. <laughs> so this is that reconstructive nature. The objective facts have not changed, 
But the narrative of my life looks very different depending on where I parse it out. So let's revisit what Adler says again. The objective facts of our lives are what they are. They haven't changed. But the stories we tell are about where we draw the connections between the things, where we parse the chapter breaks of our lives. And those are narrative acts, not historical acts. And the way we do that has big implications. So let's do this through Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon reflecting on things. He says, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's a story he tells. I did all this stuff, it was meaningless. You know, we've talked about it. He says things like, you do all this hard work and somebody else gets it. What if his story was different? I built huge homes that I invited people into to remind them that they have a good God who is preparing a home for them. A God who's preparing a space with many, many rooms that will be glorious. Come be reminded of the good things yet to come. This is a reflection of what is coming. That would change the story a little bit. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees, but it was meaningless, like chasing the wind. What if it looked different? I built gardens, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees to bless the people of Israel, to say, come, all who are hungry, come and eat. Come and drink. The act stays the same. The story and the intent changes the entire narrative. I built reservoirs to collect water and irrigate many flourishing groves. What if the story was different? I built these to remind the people of our God, the living water who gives life. And this is a shadow of what, that, of what is to come. I own large herds and flocks. Let me tell you about a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Let's talk about that God. So you see how we tell the story, how that changes us. And we see this in the New Testament happen frequently where the events that are could be told as a, um, as a tragedy, but they're not. They're told as a redemption sequence. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. And if you read what was happening, these weren't like light and momentary troubles. This was like persecution. This was like some people dying. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we reflect on our lives, when we think of the goodness of our God, we know how the story ends. So no matter how we tell this story, we know what the ultimate good is. For those who are in Christ, we know that we live in eternity forever with our God. We know how the story ends. Oh, how that changes the story we tell. We are the narrators of those reflections. Band, if you want to come back up, I want to, I want to wrap this up by returning to Grandpa. So, Grandpa, um, his, his daughter, Sarah's mom, Brenda, said, hey, Dad, 
you're a widow, you're living by yourself, I think it'd be really helpful for you to, to journal. I think every day you should journal and write down just whatever, whatever comes to mind. So Grandpa got a stack of just like notebooks and started, started the journal. Um, he has the most interesting handwriting you could ever. I see some of you squinting at it. They're like, what, what is that? It's like hieroglyphics. Um, so I've been studying Grandpa's hieroglyphics for a while, and I translated it for you. So here we are. This is Tuesday, November 15th of 2011. Grandpa's like 86 at this time. Here's what he says. Good morning at 7.15 and 18 seconds on the clock. And yes, we do have frost on the grass. 35.2 degrees now has begun to climb some. <laughs> we bought him one of those, like, you know, temperature gauges with the time and all. So he's, he's reading that right now, and he's like, you know, like an almanac, farmer's almanac. The sun has begun to produce some light. So he goes on, describes the weather for a while, and he says this, we had a good night. Grandpa sleeps in a bed by himself, by the way. So he's just thinking about Doris, his wife Doris. It's always we. Every time you read this, it's we. It's pretty beautiful. We had a good night until four. Got up, then back to bed, and was no sleep after that. So my morning began early, feeling ready for some pancakes, bacon, juice, mug of coffee, a good meal. Sound about right? Back from breakfast of two big pancakes, <laughs> two slices of bacon, he's good on his word, juice, a couple of mugs of coffee, come on, Grandpa, and a handful of pills, <laughs> ready to go. Next page at the top. Thank you, dear God, for the offering of a new day. For my home here, my home at Cedar Lake. Also, dear Lord, thanks for our precious family. Brenda, his daughter, may she take rest. Mario, his son-in-law, also long hours at work. Andy, his grandkid, Olivia, great-grandkid, or Riley, Addie, Davis, Allie, John, Sarah, Finley, Andrew, Elizabeth, just immediate family, grandkids. Also, let's bring in Alex, who's like my best friend. Um, Amy, who's Alex's wife. Natalie, Alex's sister. <laughs> Becca, my sister. Shay, Sarah's college roommate. Um, Gary, Shay's wife, or Shay's, Shay's husband. May this be a day of respect and many blessings shared by each one. Supporting much love, faith, hope, bidding many favors along life's journey. Grandpa is 86. He's a widower living in a house now by himself. He's lost his wife. His family's off doing all kinds of stuff. He's watching the birds wishing he could work. And this is the story he tells in the mornings. Next page. There it is. I'll never make sense of it. All it is is a list of names. 105 names of people that he's praying for. And he says, and also, Lord, we have others. <laughs> I did not get listed. May blessings improve the work of this day, adding much love, faith, hope, and goodwill to all. Isn't that beautiful? Better go pick out the checkbook, pay off the Discover card, purchase some stamps also, then get to the mailbox. This is life. This is life. And what I want to leave you is with his last words in his own hand right here. Lord, 
Help me to acquire your wisdom and better understand who you are. With a little heart from an 86-year-old Missouri farmer. This is the kind of man I want to be. A man who, who looks at the world in a way that's so different, that tells a redemptive story because he knows how the story ends. He knows how the story ends, and he tells it different. And this doesn't just happen when you turn 86. This is from a lifetime of remembering and reflecting on one's life, of remembering and reflecting on a good and faithful God and how he shows up in everything and telling a story that is reflective of the greater redemption story. Lord, may we acquire your wisdom and better understand who you are.